Lord, may my words be your words. And the meditations of our hearts be solely on you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Never cease to be amazed at the miracles that I see here in this place. I arrived in my office this morning and my clock was miraculously correct after eight months. <laughs> it's amazing. So I'm expectant today, expectant for the way the Lord will show up um, in our worship. Um, that had nothing to do with the sermon, I apologize. We, um, we are moving on. We've just finished up our uh, sermon series in Hebrew, um, and we are moving on to a, a three-week series. Um, we just want to talk about stewardship for a little bit. Stewardship. Um, the, the overall title and the title of, of, of our stewardship season, if you will, um, is, is we want to focus our, our thoughts and our, our hearts on this idea that, that what we are doing now is, is building foundations for the future. And we're going to do that um, through how we steward the gifts God has given us. That's basically what stewardship is. It's the intentional use of the gifts that God has given us um, for the praise and glory of the giver of the gifts. It's we use our gifts for the glory and praise of God. And, and when we do that, and we do that as a community, as the body of Christ that we um, call ourselves, the St. Paul's Church, um, we are building foundations for the Lord to work in this place in mighty ways. And so that is going to be the topic for the next three weeks. And I know when you think stewardship, you think, oh, great, three weeks of sermons on um, money and finances. And, and that's, not, that's not accurate. We will have a week of sermons on, of a sermon on generosity, but, but this is a holistic understanding of stewardship, a stewardship that understands how we, um, how we steward our, our lives to the worship of God. That's going to be our topic today, or how we steward our lives um, and our talents and our spiritual gifts to use them for God's glory. That'll be next week. And then the final week will be indeed one on generosity and finance. How do we steward the financial gifts that God has given us for his service? And so we want to be intentional in these three areas, okay, our worship, our, our um, talents, and our finances. We want to be intentional in these three areas um, so that we can give glory to God as the body of Christ and, and continue to build a solid foundation from which the gospel can be proclaimed in this church. And so today our focus will be that on worship. How do we um, stewardship our lives in this area of corporate worship? And so um, to do that, we're going to look at John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I, I would certainly appreciate it if you open them. Um, you can, if you have it on your phone, that's fine, or your tablet, um, by all means, use that. Um, we're going to look at John chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 21. Some of you, as just a quick aside, might have, um, be looking for an outline in your, in your handouts this morning, and you don't have one. Um, that's because I had, only had so much time with the hike this weekend, and so um, you don't have one in your, in your booklet, but I do hope to get something on, on our Facebook page that you can download uh, if you want to review the sermon, jot your notes down on it, or if you're using these in your life groups. Um, by all means, I hope that's available to you by the end of the day or tomorrow. So we're in John chapter 4. We're starting in the middle of a story. And many of you know this story well. This is the story of the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well, right, in the middle of the day. Jesus is traveling and his disciples are traveling from Judea 
which is in um, the southern part of, of Israel, and they are um, traveling from there, so around Jerusalem or Jericho, they're going north, they're going into um, Galilee. But to get there, they have two options. They can either go the route most traveled, which would be to go east across the Jordan River, way out of the way, and then back west into Galilee, or they could go straight north through Samaria. Now, most Jews would by no means want to go through Samaria. Just by being there, they run the risk of being unclean. And yet Jesus and his disciples go, and they risk meeting um, the unclean and dreaded Samaritans to pass through there. And they come to a little town called um, Sychar. And Jesus waits there while his disciples go to find food, and he's waiting by the well. And there he meets a woman coming to fetch water. Now, if you lived in this town, and especially in those days, you would not come to get water from the well at noon. Why? It's too hot. The only reason you would come at noon is because you didn't want to see anybody. And that is certainly what this woman was doing. Not only was she an outcast in the eyes of the Jews simply because she was a Samaritan, but she was an outcast in her own town because of her moral indiscretions. And she knew she would be heckled and shamed if she came to that well at any other time when all the other women of the town were there. And so she came at noon and she met Jesus. And they have this conversation. And we don't have the time today to get into the background of this conversation or this woman's um, history. But we do want to just note the main point of this conversation. And the reason Jesus is even initiating this. He wants to bring this woman who has religious questions, she's a spiritual woman, he wants to bring her from a place of disbelief in who Jesus is to an understanding of him as the Messiah. If you read the story as a whole, Jesus goes from just a strange man sitting by the well to someone who is proclaiming himself to be the Savior, the Messiah of God. Jesus rarely makes such a direct claim about who he is. And yet, by the end of our reading today, you have him saying to this woman, I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the Savior you've been seeking. He takes this woman's misdirected worship, her misdirected understanding of religion, and he brings her to an understanding, or he hopes to bring her to an understanding of his identity as the Messiah. And so that's where we want to focus in as we look at this question. Um, There's this obvious road we could take of Jesus as um, a gentle and loving Lord interacting with this woman. Um, And it's an amazing story. But but what we're going to focus this morning is in a slightly different direction, a more subtle aspect of this conversation. This is a woman who's interested in religious questions, but Jesus has to move her from a place of misdirected worship to authentic worship. This movement of misdirected worship to authentic worship is what we're going to focus on this morning. And so John chapter 4, verses 21 to 26. First thing we observe about this woman, she is definitely a religious woman. She's a spiritual woman. Despite her indiscretions, um, despite the fact that she's a Samaritan, she wants answers to spiritual questions. And we see that um, even as early as verse 9. Jesus is, is talking to her, and she says, why are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew. 
and you're asking me for a drink of water? Don't you know that the Samaritans and Jews don't talk to each other on the basis of religious grounds? Or if you read on to verse 12, she says, um, Are you calling yourself better than Jacob, the father of our people, the one who dug this well? Jesus, are you saying you can provide better water than, than the great father, our namesake Jacob, who dug this well? Can you give us better water than him? That's a religious question. And then when we get to our reading this morning, she says this, verses 19 and 20. She says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Do you see that? She's religious. She's spiritual. She, she cares about religious questions. When Jesus goes into her background and history and her infidelity, she says, you must be a religious man. Let's talk about this. She's a religious woman, but her worship is misdirected. The Samaritans were worshiping um, on a mountain in Samaria. They said that was the true and authentic place of worship. They're in um, the Hebrew heritage, but but as part of this northern kingdom that was um, overrun by the Assyrians, they had intermarried and their worship had become syncretized and and they were worshiping God, but they were worshiping in, in, in misdirected ways. And that was the main point of contention between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so here we have this woman. She's trying to worship God, but she's worshiping him in a way that's not accurate, in a way that's not right. And where we need to be challenged today is right here. We need to look at this woman, and we need to identify with her. We need to ask ourselves, how is our worship of God misdirected? How are we worshiping God in the wrong ways? Or how are we creating a caricature of God and then worshiping something that's not, um, that's not here in Scripture, that's not revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Now, there are many ways to do this. Um, but one way that seems to be um, prevalent throughout the church um, is this idea that uh, Christianity is about um, good morals, that Christianity is about having our needs met, and that Christianity is about a distant God that we'll get to meet in heaven one day, but right now we're kind of on our own to figure things out. And so we say, look, true worship, first of all, is about doing the right things and being a good person and following the rules. We've reduced Christianity to rule following. And that is a misdirection. We've also reduced Christianity to a religion that's designed to meet our needs. And so we come to church on Sunday or we participate in the church's programs. And at some point we say, you know, my needs just aren't being met. I'm going to go somewhere else to get my needs met. Christianity is supposed to teach us how to grandparent. It's supposed to teach us how to parent. It's supposed to teach us how to use our finances. It's supposed to teach us how to succeed in this life. That's the the misunderstanding of Christianity, one that says it needs to meet my needs instead of submitting itself to the worship of Jesus. And then we have this misdirected worship that said God is distant. He's removed from the ways of this world. And so, yes, we believe in him, we have faith in him, and one day we'll get to be with him. But right now, we need to walk in this world according to the world's rules if we have any hope. You see this played out all the time. We compromise, right? 
we give in to the ways of this world because the ways of God, those are maybe in the future when we're dead. But right now, we got to make it. We've reduced it to a religion, this moralistic religion that's about meeting our needs. It's a religion about a distant God who has no word for us now. It's misdirected. But Jesus wants to show this woman authentic worship. What does true worship look like? And so she asks this question there in uh, verse 20. Our fathers worship here, but you say we should worship there? Come on, prophet, what is the right answer? In verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is painting a picture here of authentic worship. Authentic worship. The first thing we see, authentic worship is not confined to rituals. It's not confined to laws. It's not confined to superstitions and and special celebrations. She's asking this question about ritual, right? What mountain is the right place to worship? What ceremonies are the right ceremonies? What rules are the right rules? Is it the Samaritan ones or the Jewish ones? And Jesus says, well, salvation comes from the Jews. He's affirming the fact that the Messiah comes through um, the the people of Judea and the, the sacrificial system in place of the temple in Jerusalem. But he says, neither of these are authentic worship. Not the Samaritan worship, not the Jewish worship at the temple. Neither of these are authentic worship. Worshiping God is about your heart. Worshiping God is about the Spirit dwelling on you. Worshiping God is about how you offer yourself and your life to the Lord. It's not about what we do or how we do it. But it's about a life submitted to Christ. So authentic worship is not confined to ritual. Second thing, authentic worship is possible only through the work of the Messiah. If we don't have Jesus, our lives are reduced to being good enough to meet God's standards. And all of us will fall well short of that. We can't possibly worship God without Jesus. And so he says to this woman, um, the hour is coming, what? The hour is come and is now here. It is right here, right now, in your presence, at this well, in Samaria, that you are able to worship God in spirit and in truth. Authentic worship is possible only through the work of the Messiah. And finally, authentic worship is offered, as we said, in spirit and in truth. Um, authentic worship is not seen in the ceremonial or sacrificial systems. It's not seen in following the rules and obeying the laws. But it is evidenced by the work of the Spirit in the life of the worshiper. Authentic worship is seen in spirit. And it's also seen in truth. And so we don't see authentic worship when we make caricatures of who we want God to be. Um, it's not seen in our personal understanding of God. 
If we've gone through the Bible and scratched out the parts we disagree with because, well, our God just wouldn't do it that way, that's not authentic worship. Authentic worship is evidenced by the worshiper submitting himself or herself and his or her lives to the truth. The truth of God's word in scripture, the truth of God revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And so if we are a people who worship in spirit and truth, then we are a people who testify to the spirit by embracing the truth of Christ's grace and lordship in our lives. So maybe think about it this way. Does your worship of the Lord affect all aspects, every square inch of your life? Does Jesus' love for the outcast inform the way you love your neighbor? Does Jesus' mercy on sinners inform the way we treat the people who have wronged us? Does it inform the way we treat our spouses when they have hurt us, our children when they have disobeyed, our neighbors when they don't cut the grass? Does your love for Jesus inform the grace you offer to these people? Does Jesus' lordship over all things inform your ethical decisions? Does it inform how you treat people at work? Does it inform what you say on the internet? Does Jesus' lordship inform how you speak about your enemies? That's a testimony to authentic worship. Anybody can say kind things about people they like. Can you say things kindly about people you don't? Does our authentic worship of Christ make us seriously consider how we cast our ballots on Tuesday? That's authentic worship. Worship that covers every square inch of our lives. And so we've seen in this story this morning the redirection of the Samaritan woman's worship. Jesus has taken her religious questions... And then he's pointed them to himself as the answer for each of these religious questions. He's shown us that authentic worship is not about ritual and ceremony, but about the Holy Spirit working in the life of the worshiper. Well, the reality is we're not there yet. We can't authentically worship the Lord yet because we've not been made whole. Hey, kids. <laughs> Y'all come on in. Y'all have a seat, and we're going to finish up our sermon. So I'm just going to tie this up really quick and land the plane. (laughs) I'm almost done anyway. How does Sunday worship then, if we're talking about stewarding our corporate worship and and, and what what we do intentionally on Sunday mornings, how does that affect this daily worship that we've been talking about in spirit and truth. Um, And it basically goes like this. When we come to worship the Lord on Sunday mornings, our lives and our habits are shaped in such a way that equip us to worship the Lord throughout the week. When we come and hear the gospel proclaimed and hear the gospel read, when we come and receive the sacrament, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus, when we come and, and witness baptisms of, of 
children and adults welcomed into the body of Christ, that shapes and changes our heart through the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can then go out and do the work God has given us to do. Isn't that what we pray every week, right, after communion? Send us out to do what? To do the work you have given us to do. Send us out to author, offer true and authentic worship. And so that is our challenge in this stewardship season. We want you um, to actually make a commitment to say, you know what, we're going to, um, we are going to be intentional about this area of our lives. We're not going to haphazardly make this a priority. We're going to say, no, this is a real thing for us. And so what if, just, just throwing this out there, what if for the next year you said, I'm going to come to Sunday morning worship one more time a month than I normally do. Um, and so if you're at every week, that's fabulous. Keep it up. You know, if you're twice a month, hey, three times a month, just one more Sunday. If you're once a month, one more Sunday. What would that look like in your lives? Would you be shaped then for authentic worship day in and day out? I think you will, and I think you'll be blessed. If you're here this morning, um, you might, there's some of us here, some of you might be um, very much identifying with this woman. You might have spiritual and religious questions, and you're wondering, what is authentic worship? Where do I truly find God? And I would just invite you to stick around and find out if perhaps this is the place. Perhaps you can meet God here in a way that will change your perception of him. Perhaps you can meet this man, Jesus, who would dare talk to you even in the midst of your shame and your suffering. And perhaps you too can make a commitment just to be with us until Christmas And see if you meet the God that you're looking for here. And see if he can change your life. Let us pray.